What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jace for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jace Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Ja Raffs, of course. We've got Jace. We got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? You know, we've been wrong about some things this year. But the first thing I thought of last night when I saw the Tennessee score with, you know, midway through the second half or so was, well, right on schedule. Yep. <laughs> we, we we talked about this. It's going to happen about every six games. And what do you know? That was, uh, yeah, 54 points. <laughs> That's not very many points. No. Not very many points at all. And... <clears throat> You know, uh, simultaneously, I mean, like 67 for a not great Florida team, that's about as bad of a defensive performance as you're probably going to get from them. I mean, they shot 44% from the field and 35% from the three-point line and got to the line 24 times, that being Florida. So the point there being is that they didn't have to do a ton more offensively to win the game, (laughs) and they were so bad offensively that they didn't even come close to winning the game. And that's yeah. just going to happen. That's just going to happen. And watching the end of it, the the one thing, I think it is worth noting, two of these four losses for Tennessee have actually come when they've scored at least 66 points. Obviously, this was mm-hmm. not one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not right. It's not like they have four losses where they've scored in the 50s. Right. One of those One's was Arizona, at, right? Right, which I think it was 75-70 or something. That I was just, they right. played a really good team on the road. They didn't play bad at all that game. They would have beat most teams in the country on that that day they just happened to play another really good team in a hostile environment Mm -hmm. they just looked and this is really where i'm concerned from an ncaa tournament perspective i turned this on after the end of the savior game to see if they could put a late run together they looked so lost every possession it was just to use a, a phrase from our friend Chris, just flailing around, launching threes with guys in their face. Mm. There was no plan whatsoever. And that's what really worries me. is not just that they're going to have bad offensive performances, but that just when it goes bad, I just don't have any confidence they can kind of solve the problem. They can get easy buckets, find a way to just survive and hold on because when it gets bad, it gets real bad. I'm going to ask you a question to further your point. Who's the go-to guy? Like, who's the guy that when you absolutely have to have a basket, who are you going to? Ziegler. Are you positive about that? Because he's so comfortable like, with the ball in his hands. Right. That's Josiah Jordy James is probably their best offensive player. But, right, he's not a he's not a give him the ball and let him go to work guy, which is why I would say Ziegler. You're asking somebody to get a shot to me at Siegler. The five not so you're asking right. so when you can't get a great point. shot with your offense, your your answer is my five nine guard. And the only way that he gets a clean look is if it's in in bigger offense or he like breaks somebody's ankles. Right? There, there, that's why right, that's why six eight guards that can handle are so sought after. Because the six eight six nine guard Jason Tatum, it doesn't matter who's guarding him, mm-hmm. and if the guy is is fooled by his dribble moves or not, Jason Tatum can get a clean look off. Right, because he's either going to shoot over you or he's going to get by you. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter if his dribbles quote unquote worked. He can mm-hmm. still jump 
in the air. And even if your hand's right there, it's still ultimately like he can see the front of the room. Right. And right. Like you said, you would love for that to be Josiah Jordan James, but two of 11 for him in this game, you weren't exactly going to him. You weren't exactly going to hand the ball to him late in the game, especially with the, you know, with the sporadic season that he's had. And he's just not an isolation scorer anyway. Right. Yeah, that that is the what I came away thinking about from a Tennessee standpoint was, I mean, this you know this happens sometimes. That's nothing new. We don't need to harp on that. Mm-hmm. But just the inability to solve the problem when it happens is what I'm really worried about. And then also, real quick on Florida, massive obviously to get them back in the NCAA tournament conversation, specifically because their next two games are at Kentucky and at Alabama. <laughs> Now, if they can get one of those, the rest of the season, their toughest game is at Arkansas. It's mm-hmm. I think they got Vanderbilt twice, an Ole Miss in there, a Georgia in there. All these winnable games. If they can pick up one more road win here coming off of this win, they are set up to have a really strong end to the season, a lot of confidence going into the SEC tournament. I, I actually feel pretty good about their NCAA tournament chances despite the fact that they're probably on the outside looking in right now, because that that schedule is going to lighten up for them. And they've been playing well in, in SEC play. And by the way, they don't have a bad loss. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Because the one that looked bad is, you know, now a top 25 team in the country in Fort Atlantic. (laughs) Right. I mean, on the other side of that, there's no reason to believe like, this is more about Tennessee than it is about Florida for me. Sure. I have no oh, sure, like I don't sure. actually have any faith in Florida to go into Kentucky or go into Alabama no. and win either of those games. Even if they don't, though, there's still a path to the NCAA tournament. That was really my point. <sighs> I might disagree with that. If they, I mean, they should beat about, they should win almost every game they play after those two. Yeah, but none of those games help them get into the right. tournament. They They're only gonna... help them not get into the tournament if they lose them. I mean, sure. if you beat Arkansas, but Arkansas isn't exactly. I mean. Arkansas is basically a 500 basketball team right now. At some basically. point, that if you can pile up the wins in the SEC, though, right? Because that's half of Florida's problem right now is they just don't have enough wins. Right. But so, they also don't have good wins either. Right, right. It's not like they have four like really nice wins. Yeah. They just need the volume. But, you know, I... Now they, have, now they have their win to build the resume on, though. That is helpful. That is certainly helpful. Um but yeah, like I will. It starts. It will certainly have to start with them winning. With them winning one of the next two games, and you get Kentucky again. You get Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there is there is something there. But right, things will have to fall your way to be an eighteen and thirteen. They're projected to finish eighteen and thirteen and eleven and seven in the SEC. Um, they'd probably have to do better than that. Yeah, to, I don't think that's going to be enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Todd Golden. You know, at times it's it's not looked great, but at you know, on January fourth, this team was five hundred. Now they're four games over five hundred, so mm-hmm. not playing, not playing too too terrible. Uh, a brand of basketball at the moment. Okay, before we get into kind of the big marquee games the last few days, I want to talk about Indiana. If you will, um, if you'll indulge me for a second, please do. I I think I've decided what Indiana's biggest problem is. Okay, and it seems. And it's it's a little bit of a no duh, and it's a little bit of a problem that 
is a result of Xavier Johnson not being there. But even with Xavier Johnson there, and, and I'll start the point by asking you a question. How many players, you can include Xavier Johnson, how many players on Indiana's roster are you confident in what you're going to get from them every single night? Like you mm. know for sure you're going to get that from them every single night. One and a half. Right. Like obviously Trace Jackson yeah. Davis is one. And, and from from a contribution standpoint, Ray Thompson. Okay. In terms of right, what just the kind of player he is, what he's going to give you defensively, the rebounding. Now I said half because sometimes Ray Thompson can give you twenty points and sometimes Ray Thompson gives you four. Mm-hmm. So from an offensive standpoint, I would say more like one point two five. And even Race Thompson, right? Like, you would love for Race Thompson's every night game to be nine points, right? But it's like either, yep, <laughs> right? He has like 11, 11, 16. He had a 20 point win game against Little Rock, but also he has a two, five, six, two, zero, four, zero, four, five. Yeah. And I haven't looked specifically at Xavier Johnson and his splits yet, but when he was healthy, Xavier Johnson was scoring 15, 22, 27, 17, 20, 24, 29, 30, 28. Oh, sorry. That's percentage. LOL. I was like, what in the world? Xavier Johnson. <laughs> that's a lot. I was going to say that. Um, that's percentage of points while he was on the floor. My bad. Um, yeah. He's also, you know, right. 4, 7, 23, 7, 9, 16, 28, 4, 11. And then he got hurt in the Kansas game and hasn't played since. Um, that is Indiana's biggest problem. And that is why Indiana is different from Purdue. Because there's a lot, I mean, Indiana and Purdue play on Saturday, and there's a lot of conversation in the city right now about those two teams. That's why those two teams are different. They both have an elite big man, but I can name four guys on Purdue's team that I am confident in what I'm going to get outside of Zach Eady every single night. And I'm not confident in anybody right now outside of Trish Jackson Davis. And 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 what got me thinking about this is because they lost to Maryland in a 66-55 loss. That was just ugly. And Trace Jackson Davis had 18 points and 20 rebounds on 7-13 of 13 shooting, and they had no chance to win the basketball game. Can because I throw Because nobody, nobody else gave them anything else. Yeah, go ahead. Can, can I throw a stat in there? Sure, hit me. <laughs> this is one of those things that you just really have to kind of dig in mentally to even figure out how it's possible. Okay, eight players saw the court for Indiana in this game. Okay. Five of them shot 50% or better from the field, including Trace Jackson Davis, like you said, who, you know, did his thing. Now, some of those guys took only a couple of shots off the bench, but still, five of your eight players shot 50% or better. Indiana shot 37.5% as a team. Because Jalen Hood, Shafino, and Tamar Bates were two of 19. Mm-hmm. And that and and that's that's basically where I'm getting here is that right. without Xavier Johnson in the backcourt. And, and I wrote a little bit about this for a blog post for the radio station I worked for yesterday about Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway specifically, because they are the epitome of guys that on the right night can give you something, but you should not have to depend on them night in and night out. Because uh, it, there's a lot of conversation about, man, when Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway are playing well, Indiana looks scary. And that is true. But if if anybody is is tricking themselves into thinking that Indiana can depend on Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates for offensive production every single night. They're kidding themselves. And 
Jalen Huchafino, while spectacular when he's on, is wildly inconsistent. He's got three 21-plus point games in the calendar year, so 2023. He's also failed to eclipse six points three of the last four games, and that fourth game that he did eclipse it, he had 24 and knocked down like seven threes. So he's wildly inconsistent, super talented, but wildly inconsistent. And and you just can't be depending on Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates to along with Huchifino. Like too often you're gonna run into a situation like you did the other night where just the three of them combined don't give you nearly enough. And that's my that's what I've decided. You know, we can talk about the the shooting, which has actually been pretty good this year. I was astounded. Mm-hmm. There there are like four guys shooting better than forty percent from the three point line for yeah, well, it's way year. it's way if that was the thing holding them back heading into the season, they should be way better than they are. Yeah. They're twenty no, second the in the country. The they're twenty second in the country in three point field goal percentage. Wow. So now, yeah. now they are three hundred and forty third in the country in three point field goal attempts to field goal attempts. Now, when your best player is Trace Jackson Davis, I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Purdue's is off the top of my head, but I'm guessing Purdue is not very high on that no. list either yeah. Yeah. because of Zach Eady. So that's not a knock, but it's like like for three-point shooting to really be an impact, you'd rather be like the 50th best, but shooting like 75th in that other stat, right? Mm-hmm. Then you're then it's making a, a bigger splash. I mean, Purdue Purdue's actually right in, the, right in the middle of the country, basically, 146th in that category. Um, which is lower which than is normal. Lower than normal. But I was also part of the. Let's see, what, what were they last year? Last year they were 139th. Interesting. I bet we'd have to go back to like pre Travion Williams and Zach yeah, Eady days right. to it's, get to get a, a different number. Right. It's Matt Painter being an intelligent basketball coach, building around what he has to work with. Right. I'm sure they were much higher when Carson Edwards was the focal point. I'm sure they were. And now um, you've got two elite bigs, and now the best player in the country. Right. We're gonna, and none of those guys shoot the ball, so we're gonna play around them and. Yeah fill it out from there yeah so that's ultimately why indiana is going to fall short in the tournament because they're just going to have one of those nights and maybe you know you would love for xavier johnson to come back and like be xavier johnson for by like tournament time but even if he does come back it's it would be a stretch to expect him to be the guy that he was early in the season and i think that's ultimately what's going to cause indiana to fall short is that they're just going to have a night because they depend on too many guys on a nightly basis that aren't ready to produce on a nightly basis like that. And and that's not necessarily anybody's fault, but I, I, I decided that that was a different way to look at it and that I've been thinking about over the week. So thought I'd share. Astute observation. Thank you. And it's it's the difference between being a team capable of making a run and a team built to make a run, right? Mm-hmm. Because on any given day, right, if everything goes well, sure, Indiana can knock off a two seed, a one seed, whatever it might be, you know, three seed, and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden find themselves in the Sweet 16. It's 100% conceivable because their ceiling is incredibly high. Their floor Mm -hmm. is also incredibly low where you pick the wrong game and you're out before you even win an NCAA tournament game again. And the bigger question we keep harping on, especially as we're getting close to tournament time here, is can you do it for, you know, three, four, five, six games to actually get yourself to the later rounds of the tournament? Exactly. Exactly. So Indiana, they play Purdue on Saturday, and that will be of course Indiana will beat Purdue because that that's how <laughs> that's how it'll happen. 
Um, but I won't be there to be part of the celebration because I'm certainly not going to not going to predict that. But of course, that'll that'll happen. And then around here, we'll get to endure that until they play again at Mackey Arena, which thankfully is like not that far away. I think they play twice in like a. Oh, I lied. It's several weeks from now. It's the end of February. I thought for some reason it was like only 10, 12 days mm. apart, but I was wrong. So we'll have to endure it for an entire three weeks. That's okay, though. Um, part of a good Saturday. Yeah. Part of a really good Saturday, but we'll get to that. We'll, I, I will d- run down the, the weekend schedule right at the end of the podcast. Okay, we had some some pretty big games this weekend, this week. Um, last night in the Big East, Providence and Xavier delivering another Big East showdown. And earlier in the week, Kansas getting revenge on K-State in a 90-78 fashion um several things to talk about here where do you want to start we can start with kansas and kansas state to be does that if that's cool with you is that cool with you sure is that okay okay chronological order is that fair never a bad thing perfect <laughs> Ninety seventy-eight kansas what say you well the first thing i was thinking about watching this game is you know when it goes bad for kansas state they just decide to turn the ball over against two of the best transition teams in the country, <laughs> right? The the times that they've kind of and this game they found a way to hang in there, but they, when they the couple times they've really looked overmatched, it was when TCU crushed them, and this game, and I said after the TCU game, there are, might not be another team in the country you want to avoid letting get out and transition more. And if there is a team, that team might be Kansas. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they simply turned the ball over too much. And I thought the turnover count was higher than it actually ended up being because it just felt like it was turnover after turnover. But Kansas's bench, productive. Kevin McCuller couldn't hit the broadside of a barn but got to the free throw line 12 times. Dewan Harris was his team's second leading scorer behind Jalen Wilson, who, again, didn't have a, a spectacular game, but found a way to just manufacture points. They just look like Kansas again. That's a very good sign. Mm. The other thing, the kind of the more interesting part of this I want to talk about is on the offensive end of the floor, Kansas State's floor is exceptionally high. I mean, they scored 78 points with all of those turnovers and their best two players going 12 or 37. Yeah, they scored their, best players, their best players scored 55 points. Yeah, they did generate. They generated the only points reason this the, game was close is because they went to the free throw line the, 36 right. times. Right. They generated points from the free throw line, but it wasn't like they were, you know, knocking down shots and were just absolutely unguardable. And they still got 70, 78 points on the road to Kansas. Now, they couldn't get consecutive stops to save their lives. They couldn't keep Kansas off the boards. They were turning the ball over. They had, I mean, they weren't winning this game. They didn't play anywhere near well enough. And every time they kind kind of got a little bit of momentum going, Kansas would do something, dunk three, whatever, and then it would just stay at you know ten points or whatever. Mm-hmm. They did hang in there for long stretches where it was back and forth, but they just couldn't put together the run they needed to actually get back in the game. There are clear flaws here, which is why I think both you and I are hesitant to really buy into Kansas State as a national title contender. Those flaws got exposed. I think Marquise Noel had five turnovers in this game. He just kind of got lost and 
you have, again, two of the better perimeter defenders in the country, and Dewan Harris and Kevin McCullough out there. That helps. But it is, for a team that nobody expected anything out of, it, it's just amazing to me this idea that even when, with all the things that didn't go well, it wasn't the offense that was the problem in this game. They gave mm-hmm. up 90 points. And I still, I still will never be fully into the way that their offense is constructed. Oh, sure. They have it's, two yeah. guys that are good enough. The rest aren't. And yes, yeah. I mean, as as yes, they scored 78 points, but they also on the flip side of it only had 20 field goals in the mm-hmm. whole game. Yeah, like like that's the type of like. Indiana had 19 field goals in a game that we just talked about how poorly Indiana's <laughs> offense was in yeah. that game. Yeah. So like I, I I hear where you're coming from, but like we have to at least acknowledge the fact that 31 of their 78 points came from the line. It's not exactly replicable. And I'm just will always be nervous because I also just don't think you should ever lose a game in which your two best players get you 55, regardless of how they do it. Like that, and, that one's also just tough. And maybe yeah. it's just, in, you know, maybe it's just a result of playing Kansas. Uh, I would argue that's just part of the reality of this team, that that is something that can happen because mm-hmm. of the turnovers, because of the defense, because of the lack of depth in terms of reliable production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Generally, I agree with you. I think Kansas State is an exception to that, though, which is not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> I also think, like, they also. Kansas got a bench production in this game yep. and Kansas State didn't not really. I mean, they got 9 points off the bench, but I think their bench made one field goal. I think like four of those 7 points from who was it? I can't remember which one it was. Uh from Ishmael Masad. No, sorry. No, that was he had 2 points. It was Desi Sills who had 7 points and went to the line 8 yep. times. Mm-hmm. And um, that right, that was a Desi Sills who what was it 22 or something? When they played the first time, yeah, something like that. He became that third scorer, mm-hmm. and they didn't have that in this game. Um, the other thing, I, I think I've decided that Dewan Harris is Kansas's most important player, not their best player. And obviously, mm-hmm. Jalen Wood. That goes without be the right. Of course, Jalen Wilson needs to score twenty almost every night. But when Dewan Harris is actually a threat to put the ball in the basket, not just yep. distribute, that's what brings Kansas's offense from from manageable to it's really really hard to stop yep. them. I mean, they mm-hmm. scored ninety in this game, and and Grady Dick was two of eight from the field. Yep, it allows right KJ Adams not to score sixteen points. It allows for a bad shooting night. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. Right. I mean, we, they, you know, there were three guys who had scored 16 points in this game or more, and the two in the starting lineup who didn't have also scored 16 points or more, like in the last few days. I don't know if that's completely accurate, but KJ Adams certainly has. I don't know if it's been, you know, only a couple of days since since Grady Dick has, but certainly Grady Dick is capable of scoring 20 for you. Uh, and when when Dewan Harris is not just the facilitator and the defender he is, but also is putting pressure on the defense as a score, and it doesn't even have to be like in their three game losing streak, he scored five total points. Right. Oh, it was real five. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Like not per game, five. And Kevin Kevin McCullough was not much better. No. Yeah. Five from your starting point guard. You got five points in three games. It's not good enough. Nope. Now, 26 points combined in the last two, that's good enough. 
and and even even with eighteen coming from this game in particular, like him him having eight and eight is plenty, like somewhere in the ten points per game ballpark for your starting point, like like eight and eight, eight and six, nine and seven. Don't turn the ball over. Like that's like that's good enough. But he can't for Kansas to make a deep run and the best version of Kansas. Dewan Harris is doing all of the things he's he's very good at in terms of distributing and taking care of the basketball. Um, he only had one turnover in this game, only had two assists, but that's because he was scoring the basketball in this game. But right, he, he doesn't turn it over. He defends really well. It's just when he falls asleep as a, as any sort of scorer offensively, then it can be very like, Oh my God, Jalen Wilson, will you please shoot 26 times and hopefully you get 30 points, right? Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when Kansas becomes vulnerable. But when he's scoring some, they are much more difficult to stop. Yeah, it's it's really not that complicated, right? They have one elite reliable scorer. They have two secondary scorers who on any given day can give you 20, who also sometimes give you eight and six or, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 and seven or something. And then they have the two wild cards, who are Kevin McCullough and Dewan Harris, your defensive aces, who are also capable of scoring in double figures. I mean, Kevin McCullough found a way to do it without even shooting the ball well at all in this game. But in that losing streak, they completely disappeared. Mm-hmm. And now they are back helping this team again. And so you're not relying on three guys to get you, you know, 60 to 70 points combined and Jalen Wilson to give you 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he can have an inefficient 20, and it's okay because you got all these other guys chipping in. And the bench comes up and right, gives you another 10, 15 points. It, yeah, I don't know what happened, but they seem to have fixed whatever the issue was because they look back to being themselves again. I will go to bat for Kevin McCullough a little bit. This is his fourth straight game in double figures. Yeah, he came he came out of the slump a little bit earlier. Right, the first one yeah. was... Baylor? Kansas State. No, Kansas Kansas State, he had zero. He had 10 and 14 against TCU and Baylor. Okay, okay. Right. I think I run off the floor against TCU. So, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, the, the, I had the I had the Kansas State game burned into my mind because I remembered yeah. that was a goose egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, right. he's consistently over the past couple of weeks been – and again, it's not like he's shooting the ball exceptionally well, but he's finding mm-hmm. ways. It's offensive rebounding. It's, you know, getting the free throw line, hitting some timely threes, just a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little Draymond Greenish in the like stuffs the stat sheet. He had, I mean, he had ten rebounds and four assists in mm-hmm. this game, and like he's in the sense that you just like desperately wish that Draymond was better offensively in all of the in like <laughs> anything other than passing, right? Um, and and McCullough is certainly not certainly not that bad, but from a he doesn't necessarily have to be scoring to impact the game, but right. he also needs to be better than zero points mm-hmm. like that's that's also not good enough for your starting shooting guard so um that needs to be better as well but all of those things were better in this game and when kansas scores 90 at home you're probably not going to beat them yeah yeah it was going to be a monumental task anyway and now that kansas has kind of got their mojo back you had to play a pretty pretty much a perfectly game perfect <laughs> Wow, I don't know what happened there. Play a pretty much perfect game, and yeah, Kansas State did not come close to doing that. To your point, though, and we'll wrap with this before we get to Providence and Xavier. Still, only a twelve-point loss. I think. And and to your, I think that is, you know, props to Jerome Tang getting to the free throw line. I'm sure Bill Self is shaking his players until they 
you know, scream about letting a, the other team get to the line 36 times, but um, still a 12 point game. Yeah. Kansas state, Kansas. I would, I, I really hope this continue. Like it's so fun when Kansas and Kansas state play two really awesome games. A year. Mm-hmm. And both of these games were awesome, right? This one, not, not, you know, more lopsided than the other one, but still, Having, ad, from an atmosphere standpoint, we we picked mm-hmm. two games to talk about this weekend. Kansas and Kansas State was one of them. I mean, like we're talking like, I mean, when was the last time that was the case? And it was obvious, yeah. easily the best matchup of the week, right? Seven versus eight, yeah. Like when was the last time that was a thing? Hasn't been hasn't been recently. Even the year that Kansas State won a share of the big big 12 title not all that long ago yeah it was just like it just wasn't the same this year they are toe-to-toe and i hope i hope it continues the other game the other big game this week xavier welcomed providence to the centos center i know i'm not supposed to like anything about xavier as a butler grad (laughs) but the centos you're you're all about the centos center the centos center looks lit i i like i texted a buddy who lives in cincinnati during the game and said listen dude if you ever get a chance to go to a xavier game like he's not like a college basketball guy just a friend from high school and you know he's gotten into the Bengals recently and you know as one would if they were living in Cincinnati. And I said, if you ever get a chance, you need to go and see a game at CentOS Center because it looks lit and it always delivers. And especially when it's when it's really good basketball. I mean, game, we can which, take a road trip. Which last night, we might have to. Which last night was Xavier 85, Providence 83 without Zach Fremantle. Jack Nungy, Colby Jones, and Sully Boom combined for 63 of the team's 85 points. That's not too bad. And um, they, but you know, with that being said, barely escape uh, with a win over Providence. And I really thought that Jared Bynum made I did that shot. Too. I, I really thought that was going in. <laughs> he, he got it over the rim, and it just sat there. Yep. And then it was almost like some kind of wind came in and just yeah, something. redirected it out of the rim. Yeah, it's like the entire right side of the arena just, <laughs> just yeah, like exactly. blew in the direction of the ball. Yeah. I really thought it was going. I, oh, I was 100%. I went, oh, that looks, I, yeah. I also got a really big kick out of the commentators thinking that Jared Bynum was hurt and really he was, <laughs> was just so on the floor. And by that. They were like, there seems to be an injury. I'm like, no, dude. He just like collapsed to the floor and like, oh, that was so close. Disbelief, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, in disbelief, exactly. <laughs> that was, I'm glad that was you had that confusion well. too because I thought, did, did he really, and then they, you know, they were showing the replay. Yeah. I just, I thought, did, and, did he get hurt? Because it looked to me like he just kind of, understandably, just laid there, you know, out of yeah. disappointment and the exertion of playing overtime, coming that close to winning this big game, and exactly, yeah, no, I and then <laughs> and then it cuts to the and then it cuts to the handshake line, and he's just walking normally through the handshake yeah, line at that was... point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would have, I probably would have collapsed in the same way because yeah. I really thought it was going, I thought it was going down. But yes, 85, 83 in overtime. The Big East keeps delivering on a nightly basis these really, really good basketball games uh, between really high level teams that are really, really well coached. And last night was no exception. Plenty to talk about here. Where would you like to start? You ready for this? Oh, boy. Providence is winning at least a share of the Big East regular season title. Now, you do realize that the other team won this basketball <laughs> game, right? I do realize that. Okay. Do you realize I'm, 
Five of Providence' last eight games are at home, including Creighton, Villanova, Xavier, and Seton Hall. Wait, pause. Pause. Okay. How unbelievable is it that you just put Villanova in a list of easy games for another Big East team? I put it, in, you, the, I put it in the list of hard games. Did you? Creighton, Nova, Xavier, and Seton Hall. Oh, that was a mistake then. Put them in they, the Georgetown St. John's. Put them in the Georgetown St. John's Georgetown <laughs> game group. My point being, the games you would look at in terms of the opponent mm-hmm. that Providence is most likely to lose in this stretch coming down to the the end here are all at home. Right? They get the rematch with Xavier at home. They get Creighton at home. They've already played Marquette mm-hmm. twice. They should run the table at home which is kind of how this has been going, right? Everybody just sort of takes care of business at home. And obviously, that leaves winnable road games that they should take care of. There are a lot of games Providence can win here in a conference that is unforgiving and keeps kind of beating up on it, on itself. And then the other part of this is Bryce Hopkins was 3 of 14 from the field, and they still nearly won at the Cintas Center in overtime. Mm. Yeah, that was, that, that was my biggest takeaway from Providence here. Yeah, the... This is a game, if you're looking at the schedule, you expect to lose anyway. Now, again, having Zach Fremantle not there helps, certainly, as Xavier's trying to figure out how to kind of retool this because, right, they're fundamentally a different team with the players on the floor without the two bigs. But I'm just a believer. Ed Cooley's going to do it again. Now, it's entirely possible they end up you know, sharing with Xavier. I'm not going so far as to say they're going to win it outright because they got work to do and Marquette is still there. Mm-hmm. But I feel very confident we are going to look back at the end and Providence is going to be one of the teams that is a Big East regular season champion. I would be more inclined to agree with you if Xavier didn't still get to play St. John's, Butler twice, DePaul, and Villanova. Now, like that's, the, that's my biggest hesitation. Is that lost to DePaul once? Come on, dude. Stop it. (laughs) You don't actually think that they're going to lose to DePaul again at home, do you? No, my point is they. So, so, but so it's just as likely that Providence doesn't run the table against the best of the Big East just because they're at home either. If you're going to give Xavier a the possibility of losing to DePaul at home. No, I don't think Xavier's losing that game. My point is, I feel. I feel slightly more confident about Providence at home than Xavier winning every single game they're supposed to because we've already seen it doesn't. We're talking it, about the eighteen and five and ten and two team, right? In the Big they, East team, right? Yeah, they're, you're they're, worried about that team winning the games they're supposed to. I'm not worried about it. I just I think there's a loss or two in there, specifically, you know, the rematch of this game. <laughs> okay, and that's all that Providence would need, right? You just got to play even the rest of the way. Okay. I'm sticking with this. Now, I, if you're asking me, these two teams and maybe even Marquette are going to share the title. I'm not saying I, – I also think Xavier is going to get a piece of it. I do think they're going to end up tied though. Okay. So, Because I would hand Xavier five more wins. Hand them to them. And there's what, but- eight left? And there's eight left. And the other three are Seton Hall, Providence, and Marquette. All on the road? That's correct. But the other five games against those bad teams are all at home. So they're 15 and 5. 
So, and that's 15 and five in conference. That's so, where it's so you're in on Providence going six and two the rest of the way. 100%. Okay. That's fine. I'll respectfully disagree with that though. <laughs> I'll respectfully disagree with that because I think there's no way that Providence wins all five of those games. They get two losses in there. You just you just you just said they're going to run the table at home. No, I said I like their chances. You of- did. You said they are going to run the table at home. I said they could. Okay, I think they probably lose fine. one. Of, they, I think they probably okay, they, lose- they could run the table. They could win eight games. They could one, win the national championship. One, one loss at home. One loss on the road. Six and two. Fifteen and five. There you go. Okay, I will put any money in the world <laughs> that that doesn't happen. But okay. I'll be um, expecting a public apology when they do it then. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Providence team has a St. Louis and a Miami, Florida loss this year, so they don't beat all the teams they're supposed to either, by the way, mm-hmm. just in case you were curious. Um, if you're done, can I <laughs> can I talk about this game as well? I mean, do you want to talk about the game or just that Providence is going to win the Big East? I mean, we can keep talking about it. No, just kidding. Yeah, I have um, one more thing I want to get to. So go ahead. Um, I don't. I don't think people are giving. I don't think people are talking enough about how Sully Boom is, like how <laughs> rare what Sully Boom is doing is. I mean that guy. That guy transferred from a mid-major school, and is better than he was at said mid-major school. He's dispelling all of your beliefs about this. See. My belief has never been that I am that it's not possible. Well, right. My belief is that it's unlikely. Yeah, no, yeah, and, not, right. Not not in a literal sense. If you say it's never possible, but you're right, and rightfully so. Your whole thing is don't expect this to happen. And so, a boom said, "Watch right. me." <laughs> right. Which is why I probably wasn't as high on Xavier coming into the season as some people were, because, right, Sully Boom's the most important player on this team for my money. And the guy that, like, we're literally having commentators call him the finisher at the end of games. Yep. Because that's the guy you want taking your free throws. That's the guy you want the ball in his hands. He had 20 and 9. He didn't shoot the ball great in this game, but he had 20 and 9 and had one turnover in a really high-level Big East game. This is a guy who played at UTEP last year. Um, But because we could just as easily be, like, just as, like, it Coming into the season, it was perhaps even more likely that you had questions about Xavier's point guard play because, you know, Sully Boom not translating immediately from UTEP to the Big East would not be an, you know, would certainly not be the first time that that has happened to somebody. And instead, he is as rock solid as any point guard in the country. And that is why. That is why Xavier is for real. As long as they get Fremantle back and he's healthy for, I think during the broadcast last night, they were saying that the hope for Xavier is that they get him back like kind of right before the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of kind of to get him a little bit, yeah, sort of get him reacclimated right before postseason. Yeah, maybe play you get starts, to bring yeah. him maybe you get to bring him back to play Butler at home um to to end the season and then get him into into the Big East. So as long as that happens, because I mean, Jack Nungie had 23 and 14 on 10 to 15 shooting. He was certainly up to the task of being the guy in, in the front court, but certainly the best version of Xavier, obviously, is Zach Fremantle being a part of a part of that front court. But it is right. I mean, it's 
don't let Suli Boom touch the ball. Like you need to foul somebody else. <laughs> like that kind of, and and it goes beyond him just being a good free throw shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's super impressive every time I watch Xavier play. Just how under control he always looks. And I, I not in a million years did I think that Suli Boom was going to be the most important player on the Xavier team, but I think that he probably is. He's been run a Big East Player of the Year. Seriously. And that's that's super, super impressive. Um, I don't have a ton else other than kind of what you mentioned about Providence and Bryce Hopkins going three or fourteen from the field and only having ten points. The the fact that they had that they had the ball go halfway down to win this game, even though that was that was the case, was was a good sign for Ed Cooley's team. And if we're gonna entertain this idea of them sharing the big the big East regular season, um <laughs> Um, that kind of thing is 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 something you might want to hang your hat on, right? About them possibly, about them finding ways to be good teams. Like if this game is is in is is at Providence, yeah. you probably win the game with the mm-hmm. exact same with the exact same performance from Bryce Hopkins, yeah. which is a good thing. It's good. The other thing, person I want to give a shout out to, Jerome Hunter may have won this game with his offensive rebounding. I mean, he had seven, and we've talked about this before, that he's been so good in his role this season in terms of just you know energy, rebounding, scoring when you need it. And now he's got the bigger responsibility with Fremantle out. Obviously, he's not the same player. But getting that production from the four spot, from that other player who's kind of stepping up in Fremantle's absence, the dude was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you don't need him to score. That's what Nunji's there for. That's what Boom's there for. That's what Kobe Jones is there for. But Nunji is Nunji is a much better defensive rebounder than offensive rebounder, I feel like. And so you have the guy who just crashes the offensive glass, gets you those extra possessions that in a game that comes down to one shot and a game that mm-hmm. goes to overtime, you know, a, kind of allowed Xavier to hang in there as Providence was continuing to put pressure on him at the end. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give a shout out to him too. Because that's also part of the Fremantle absence is Xavier didn't get the exact same thing because Jerome Hunter is not Zach Fremantle. But Mm -hmm. the player who was tasked with that responsibility to kind of fill that void did so in his own way. And that was part of this game as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think Jack Nudge is just such a good positional defender. But a lot of times offensive rebounding can come from just being tough to handle and on the boards, right? And Jack Nungie is tough to handle on the boards because he's huge, but like not because he's kind of athletic and he's like super, super hard to box out and like that kind of thing. And, and he doesn't live around the rim either because he can shoot right. the ball. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But not even like it's not like Fremantle was is a fantastic offensive rebounder. No, no. And, and and Jerome Hunter kind of brings some of that. The last thing I have on this is like it's a little ridiculous that Xavier is in, is a hundredth, a hundredth, one hundredth in defensive efficiency right now. Because like I like eight times every Xavier game, I'm like that team is so freaking athletic. They're so long. There's arms and legs everywhere. Like like it's Jerome Hunter. It's Colby Jones. It's like they're huge. It's Jerome Hunter, it's Colby Jones, it's Desmond Cloud off the bench. Like, it is Desmond. That's his first name, right? Desmond Cloud? One moment. 
Yes, Desmond Clark yeah. off the bench. And it just like there just seems to be long, lanky arms and legs everywhere. And you know, when this game got going up and down a couple times, it's just like, man, they are they are everywhere. And I felt like there were there were hands in passing lanes and tip balls and I just I just think that this team should be better defensively than they are, which is a hundredth in defensive efficiency right now. But because I just feel like they'd have the bodies to be pretty elite defensively if they wanted to be. And they're sixth offensively and 23rd at Kempom and 18 and five and alone atop the Big East. No, Tyler no, Marquette's top Big East. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so clearly it's working just fine. Now, are they good enough defensively to win a title? No. History would suggest they're nowhere close to winning a title defensively. And. Um, but I just like there were several times I'm like, man, they are all over the place. Anyways, and it's kind of how they how they're built too, right? They don't really have a shooting guard. Mm-hmm. They have a ball a ball handler, wings, and then wings and tall dudes, <laughs> right? And that's about it, right? Right, and that certainly contributes to the feeling. But I just feel like they're all over the place, and yeah. there's so much to handle. They just mm-hmm. they just feel they look huge through the TV screen, <laughs> and it's not like they're huge. And they're all of those guys are just kind of standing in the paint, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Colby Jones, right? It's, yeah, they're really athletic guys, so that's fine. That's the way that the, the way they're made up, and like I said, it's working for them. But I don't think like like there's a, like we're one reality over from Xavier being a really good defensive team. I think. <laughs> Anywho, anything else on this game? No, nothing else on this game. This game between the, the the Big East regular season champ and the team that will finish just behind them in second. <laughs> oh, so you think Providence is going to win it outright? Oh, uh, well done, well done, well done. Um, yeah, that's all I got on that game as well. Anything else exciting happened this week? I don't think so. Marquette beat Villanova. That wasn't exactly surprising. Um, not a not a ton really. Oh, did you see? Did you see how badly Alabama beat uh, Vanderbilt? I saw it was a very lopsided score at one point, and then didn't pay much attention. Well, here's your trivia time. Um, if if you'd only taken the points that Alabama scored in the second half, <laughs> would they still have beaten <laughs> Vanderbilt in the entire game? Yes, that's correct. Would they have beat them by more than ten? No, that's incorrect. They would oh. have beat them by fourteen with just their second half. 101-44 was the final score of this Oh, game. my. I didn't realize it was quite that bad. <laughs> um, that's what happens when Vanderbilt goes 19... Sorry, when Alabama goes 19-41 of 41 from the three-point line. Ah, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. They were saving they also the threes for Vanderbilt. Just, they also would have beaten them by almost 20 <laughs> with just their three-pointers. <laughs> Anyways, uh, quite the light, the, the lopsided loss there for, <laughs> for Vanderbilt. Um, Boston College beat Clemson. Yep. Uh, Nevada beat San Diego State. Um, not not totally surprising. It was at it was at Nevada. That's a that's a team that's also in the running to win a Mountain West title. Um, but that's a that's about all I got for you over over the course of this week. This weekend, good basketball games this weekend. So Very many good basketball games. Um, starting on Saturday at noon, you have Kansas at Iowa State. At Hilton Coliseum, I heard Monte Morris is in attendance. I'm kidding. I didn't actually hear that, but that would be like like if he's available, get him there. Yep, 
If he's available, get him there. Um, UConn going on the road to a team they struggled to beat at home in Georgetown. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, Auburn is at Tennessee. TCU a TCU a. Can we talk about this for a second? TCU on the road to Oklahoma State, an Oklahoma State team. Oh, never mind. That's at home. I keep assuming that in the parentheses it's going to be their conference record, and it's not on ESPN. It's the the record, uh, you know, away or at home. So mm-hmm. never mind. Um, at Oklahoma State, Miami and Clemson, the top twenty-five matchup in the ACC at three o'clock. Then you get Purdue and Indiana at four from Bloomington. Texas and Kansas State at four o'clock as well. Man, a load at four o'clock. Jeez, jeez. That um, th- there's your. We're gonna figure out how the Big Twelve is gonna sort of who your favorites are gonna be coming down the stretch mm-hmm. between those two games. Yep, one hundred percent. And then at ten thirty, the nightcap. When was the last time that Gonzaga played a, a a West Coast Conference game in which they weren't the higher rated team at Kempom? St. Mary's is seventh at Kempom right now. Yeah, I, don't, I thought you were going to say something about ranked teams. And I was going to say, well, they do that every once in a while. Yeah, no, I got no clue on that. I have zero clue. Like ever? <laughs> Pretty like much in few. The, like in the Kempom era? <laughs> yeah. Kempom era is what, 20, 2002, right? Something yeah. like that. <laughs> no way, right? Well, let's see. Let's, let's start in 02 and go the other way. Pepperdine... Nope. Okay. O two Gonzaga was nobody was close to no three. Nobody was close to no four. Nobody was close to no five or o six. You're determined to find this. Um, not no seven. Gonzaga was forty ninth at Kimpom in 07. Santa Clara was next closest at seventy seventh. I doubt they were ever higher that year. Gonzaga was twenty fifth, and St. Mary's was forty second in two thousand eight. There might be something there, but probably not. Um, not 2009 or 10. Well, it was probably 2010. In 2010, Gonzaga finished 44th at Kempom, and St. Mary's finished 29th mm, at Kempom. Okay. So it was probably then. But on Saturday, they will play St. Mary's as the 17th ranked team at Kempom, and St. Mary's is 7th. Um, so an absolutely loaded saturday slate is there anything fun on sunday no <laughs> there's not there's one top 25 team playing on sunday and it is Houston. well it's a little bit fun because they play the team that just beat them at home ah. little little houston temple rematch i'm guessing that temple probably won't sweep the season series against houston but maybe i'm wrong what if what if we look up and houston is like a two or three seed and they finish the season you know, they got four losses going into the tournament and like they lose to Temple twice in the regular season and again in the AAC tournament. What if they just have three <laughs> losses to Temple? It's, it's just Temple that. and Virginia. Yeah. Oh, no, they beat Virginia. Sorry. No, Temple and Alabama. Right? That's what it was. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. It was one of those good teams, right? They beat right, Virginia. Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. Temple. Yeah. Temple three. It's just the red teams. Temple three times. It's just the Alabama. red teams. It's just the red teams. You know, a Temple team that ultimately won't sniff the NCAA tournament unless they win the AAC. Hey, Conference but if they, I mean, if they get that third win, who knows? Yeah, but they keep, yeah, you're not wrong. They keep doing things like losing to 
bad AAC teams. It's not like they're also running the table. Houston, back up to first at Kimpom, by the way. Um, Temple has losses to Tulane and Memphis. They are terrible losses. No, they did start the season with losses to Wagner, Vanderbilt, St. John's, and Richmond. Yeah. Yeah, they I were should say, two they, they and four after yeah, six. The, the non-con <laughs> was rough. They also had losses to Penn, Mississippi, and Maryland Eastern Shore. Those are, you know, those teams I just mentioned, uh, zero of them are inside the top 75 Kempom. Only two of them are inside the top 100. So Aaron McKee's team probably going to have to win the AAC <laughs> tournament to get in. Um, hey, are making it interesting at least. Uh, 100%. 100%. It's Anything all about else? that in-season improvement. Naturally, good coaching. Hey, they're they are eight and they're eight and two yeah. since December twentieth. How about that? Yeah, well done. Well done. You got anything else? It's just tangentially related. I'm just going to throw it out there now. I will oh, be very boy. upset if we don't get a New York Liberty, Las Vegas Aces, WNBA Finals. Ooh, it's true. The big three, the, the new big three in New York. The Liberty just went from rebuild with Sabrina Unescu to we have all the firepower <laughs> very, very quickly. Did they win a series in the playoffs last year or did they lose? I'm pretty sure they – oh, because they won that one game, but they lost the series. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Did they lose the series? Because they sure did they make did. the playoffs. They are like the yes. eighth seed, right? And they got. I think they won the first game and then lost two to the sky, if I remember correctly. I believe you're right. Yeah. I believe you're right. Yeah, this is a whole other ball game. Stewie, John Quill Jones, and and Sabrina Nescu gets to play with two of the best bigs in the league. I mean, oh. yeah. I mean, just we. I want it. We got two. <laughs> we got two elite teams. He said, "I want it. I want this finals <laughs> so bad. So that was bad. too good. That was too good because it's just so clear who the best two teams are. You don't usually get that. It could mm-hmm. be. I mean, yeah. I want it for Sabrina. I want it for the league. I want it for me." No, we can have a conversation about whether or not that's a good thing for the WNBA. Sure. But sure. but if 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 it's not going to be a good thing for the WNBA, at least we can get them in the finals. Please. Right. Yeah. And it's not like I mean, the Aces are going to be right there ready to battle with them. Right, right. It's not like they're going to run it's not a warrior situation where they're going to run roughshod over everybody. You're probably right. You're probably right. But yeah, that's fun. That was fun to to have the WNBA kind of ha- have a big part in the news cycle over the last 24 hours because of what is taking shape uh, with the Liberty. Anyways, do you have anything else? Anything else that's tangentially related? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Looking forward okay. to this weekend. Me too. Me too. Please subscribe to the Jace for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jace for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube, Twitter, TikTok. Any other T social medias that we have? I don't think so, right? No. Okay. We don't have a B reel, do we? I still don't really understand how B reel works. Do you know, I don't even know what you're B-reel talking works? about? Okay, cool. Um, we are old <laughs> around these pots. We do have a TikTok, though, and if you want bite-sized content of the podcast, you can find it there as well as on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.